welcome to episode 578 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard, and this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. It's just a solo episode tonight for for the show. Richard is very, very busy moving this week. In fact, he doesn't even have internet in his house right now, so you can imagine how much of a struggle that actually is for him. So hopefully he'll be back really soon. Also, want to wish a happy Lunar New Year to all of our listeners out there who celebrate it. It's a big holiday in my house, I can tell you that. So uh, happy, happy New Year to everybody there. And let's get into the feedback this this episode. We've actually have two listener emails that we got, but we're only going to cover one because the other one that's going to require me to do some more digging into what they suggested for me to really be able to cover it well. So uh, both of these were sent in to us at entertainment20 at the digitalmediazone.com. And the first and, well, I guess the only one that we're going to read on this episode is from James. And he's following up on uh, a conversation from a previous episode. And James says, over the last couple of weeks, Richard has ragged on Roku, like when he talked about uh, traveling to an Airbnb. He used to use a Roku and now he doesn't. Uh, he says, and then he recommended it to the listener last week, considering moving to Plex. Josh asked, what about AirPlay for photos? AirPlay was Richard's biggest issue, if I recall correctly with using the Roku in the Airbnb. Guys, Roku supports AirPlay, so I don't get the issue. I'm going to take a break real quick, address this first part from James. I thought that Richard and I said that, that that Roku now does support AirPlay. If we didn't, uh, I'm, I'm totally sorry. We totally screwed up on that. Yeah, James, I think James is right. Roku does support AirPlay now, so that wouldn't be uh, much of an issue at all, assuming you've got a relatively modern Roku device, which if you're buying a new one, you're going to get. So yeah, thank you for calling us out on that, James. If we forgot to mention that last week, you can absolutely do AirPlay on a Roku nowadays. Okay. He also says, and this is again, following up on, on an email on the last episode where the, the person who wrote in said that his NAS was going out of support. So he was planning on replacing it. Well, James says, just my two pence worth, just because your NAS is out of support doesn't mean it stops working. My Plex setup hasn't got anything newer than eight years old in it. He says he's got one cheapo PC and two NAS devices, the oldest of which is 14 years old. He says, obviously, if you're looking for an excuse from the household CFO to buy new gear, then ignore that last statement. James, you're right. Like if, if equipment is working for you, then you can absolutely keep using it. The problem with like the biggest problem with that advice though, is when these devices go out of support, that typically means they stop receiving security updates. And these are devices that are connected to the internet. That, like a Plex server isn't useful unless it's connected to the internet. So while I absolutely appreciate the advice to, to help 
save some of our other listeners some some cash. We always, always are looking for that sort of angle for people. When it comes to security, the fewer insecure devices we have out there on the internet, the better. So I'm I'm kind of with the original listener. If your NAS is no longer supported and you're not going to get security updates anymore, then it's time to move on to something newer. And James, I'd recommend the same for you, my friend. <laughs> but James, thank you for writing in. We always love getting listener feedback for the show, especially when they've got more advice uh, and experiences to share with other listeners and when you call us out on mistakes that we might have made in previous episodes, because we do want to make sure that we're providing the most accurate information possible to all of you. So thank you again, James. If you'd like to send listener feedback for a future episode, our email address is entertainment20 at the digital media zone.com. All right, so let's jump into the news for the week. And we always start with the video news, unless there's something really huge like there was last time. And this week, really only one video story, even kind of worth pointing out. It's not that big of a deal, but I think some of you are going to find some use cases for it. Netflix, for quite a while now, has had a a row in their user interface. It's right near the top called the continue watching section or queue, as you might call it. And typically it's really, really helpful. You know, if you're currently binging through a TV series, then you probably want it to automatically suggest the next episode in the series. Or if you didn't finish the last episode in that series, it's going to show that half watched episode of the blacklist or whatever it is that you're watching so that you can quickly find it and resume where you left off. It makes total sense. It's a super convenient feature that I think most Netflix users really, really appreciate. However, there are times when things show up in that continue watching queue that you don't want to see anymore. Maybe it's because you were halfway through an episode and decided, I don't like this show. I don't ever want to watch it again. Or maybe it's something that you had family visiting and they used your profile on your device and it's a show or a movie that you hate and you're never going to watch it again. Or maybe it's something that you wish you never would have watched or it's something that you don't want other people to know that you watched for whatever reason, whether it's just, you know, you, you tried some show thinking, well, maybe this is good and then found out it was terrible. Maybe it's something you actually enjoyed, but you still don't want people to know that you watched it. Well, Netflix is rolling out a really simple way to remove items from the continue watching list. Basically, you just long press on it and there's going to be an option. And and I say going to be because it hasn't rolled out to everybody just yet, but for some of you, it may already be there. But when you long press on that episode, it's going to have a remove option. Super simple, super obvious. Now, there have been like trickier, far more complicated ways of doing this through other means in the past, but this is going to make it super, super simple for anybody to go in and remove things from this list, whether you have perfectly good or maybe somewhat embarrassing reasons for removing those things. 
who who are we to judge? The the important thing is you're now going to have that option and it's going to be available on basically everything, whether you're watching on a smart TV, a streaming device on the web via browser or a mobile device using the app. The option should be there really soon on basically everything. So that's that's just a nice usability improvement for a user interface that really hasn't seen a major overhaul in years. Okay, so our next story is in the, the, the audio department, and this is definitely one of the biggest stories in audio news over the last couple of weeks, and that is the ongoing saga with Joe Rogan and Spotify. So Rogan has had plenty of controversial guests on. That's really how shows like his become so popular. If you're not familiar with Joe Rogan, it's it's not that hard to explain, really. It, it's not that different from something like Howard Stern, Rush Limbaugh, Rachel Maddow. Like These are talk shows that get popular and get people excited because they're controversial, because they have things to say that are going to get people riled up. It works as much as we all say we hate this sort of media. We tune in because it, it gets us riled up, because it it engages us emotionally. And maybe you don't listen to Joe Rogan. Maybe you don't listen to any of the, the people that I just mentioned. Regardless, it's still incredibly popular, so much so that Spotify it paid I believe the number was $100 million to lock up Joe Rogan's show as a Spotify-exclusive podcast. Now, where the controversy really starts to come in is he's had a lot of guests on that have made flat-out false claims related to COVID-19 and the vaccines. And that's of course, controversial, but it can also be considered by many to be dangerous information. And a lot of people have had enough of it. And while you as a random Spotify listener may have decided, I'm done, I'm not giving this company my money anymore, you as one single listener might not have that much influence. Well, the major artists that are on the on Spotify, they kind of have a bigger influence to play. And so a few of them started throwing their weight around. Uh, musical artist Joni Mitchell and Neil Young both decided, yeah, we're done with this. We're, we're not going to have our music available on Spotify anymore. Brene Brown, she has a Spotify exclusive podcast. Like Joe Rogan, she decided that she wasn't going to release any new episodes, quote, until further notice. And she doesn't have to say I'm not releasing any new episodes on Spotify or anything because Spotify was the only place to get them. And she decided to just stop producing them. That was her way of fighting back and telling Spotify, we don't want this sort of content anymore. So lots of things being said about this. Should Spotify step in and get Joe Rogan to change the content that he's putting out there? Should they get rid of him entirely? Should they tell everybody else? Tough. Like we're going to let any uh, artist who's on our platform say whatever they want. 
as is to be expected, Spotify kind of came down somewhere in the middle, depending on on how you look at it. So Spotify did, after a few days, release a, a formally written response. And in it, they announced a couple of things. The first is that they're adding a content advisory to any podcast, not just Joe Rogan's, any podcast, they say, that contains COVID-19 information. Now, it's not just like an explicit lyric sort of advisory. It's a link that you can click on that will take you to their COVID-19 hub. And what's that? Well, it's basically just another section of the Spotify catalog that has content from all sorts of sources, including the BBC, ABC News, The Atlantic, lots of other news sources. News sources that you're like you're pretty likely to find at least one or or more news sources in that group that you trust, hopefully, because they're all pretty reputable news sources. And you know, lot, lots of of COVID focused news in there that, that talks about you know everything related to COVID nineteen from you know the latest variants to the vaccination information, all of that sort of stuff. So that if you're listening to an episode of Joe Rogan and you're like, I I would like to know more about what that guest just said. Is that real? Is it not? How real is it? Is it twisted a little bit? I don't know. I would just like to know more from another source, another source that I trust. Hopefully, maybe you can find answers to that stuff over in the COVID-19 hub. Now, of course, the the other part of that, though, is how how much should Spotify get into what some might call censoring some of their podcast host. And to that, Spotify just said, all right, we're going to publish our platform rules. And I I didn't go through and read all of these rules, but what has been pointed out is that Joe Rogan's show, it doesn't meet the criteria for getting removed based on their current platform rules. So if if you've been super upset about Joe Rogan and hoped that, you know, all of this attention lately would be enough to get him removed, well, that's that's not happening right now. And Joe Rogan did apologize. I I don't know what all that that's worth to to those who might be extremely angry at him, but he did apologize and said that he's going to try to present more balanced views in the future. And now I I think it's important to point out that balanced doesn't necessarily mean accurate. It doesn't necessarily mean truthful. And I don't say that to even imply that Joe Rogan isn't providing that sort of information. I can't really make a, a judgment there because I've never once listened to the Joe Rogan experience. So I don't know. But all I'm really trying to point out is that a balanced view just means that you're presenting multiple views that are, you know, uh, at equal points on the spectrum. So if someone gets gets on the show and every time they come on the show, they're like, listen, if you put pineapple on your pizza, you're the worst person to ever walk the face of the earth. Then making that a balanced view would be to put someone else on the show who says, if you put pineapple on your pizza, you're the greatest human being to ever walk on the earth. Now, is it useful to have 
those two viewpoints on a uh, on a show? Mm, probably not, but it is a balanced view, I guess. So we'll have to wait and see what this balanced view in, in the future looks like on Joe Rogan, but you can certainly continue to have a very controversial show and still provide balanced views. So we'll see. Let's move on to some things that are far less controversial, and that would be YouTube Music is getting a new feature, uh, a new feature that's going to sound pretty familiar to Spotify users for one, uh, but lots of other services are doing similar things. It is a new section in YouTube Music called Recommended Radios, which I think is a weird name. They're basically just playlist, but I've I've never really seen the word radio listed as a plural word, like playlist for sure, but recommended radios, it just seems weird. I don't know, whatever, it doesn't really matter. But the point is that these, if you're thinking, oh, it's just another Pandora clone, it's not quite the same thing. Because if if you're thinking about Pandora, you're probably thinking, okay, I picked a song that I really liked, and now it made me a playlist of songs similar to that one song or similar to that one artist. And what they're saying is that this, these recommended radios won't just be based on a single song or artist. Now, it's kind of weird for them to say it like that when some of the examples that are showing up are things like Lumineers Radio. So that sounds like songs that are similar to music from the Lumineers, a single artist. But there's also ones like Pop Radio of the 2010s. Okay, for sure, that's not just a single artist. That's going to be a bunch of artists. So I guess I'm just going to have to take them at their word that when things show up that just are a radio station built on a particular artist, that it won't just be that particular artist. And I think that's one of the things that Spotify is doing really well, but they don't call these things just artist name radio. You know, they they come up with with different things like, you know, folk whatever, or, you know, acoustic this or pop that, you know, things that are more genre specific and, and things like that, which we've talked about in the past. And Spotify tends to do a really good job with these. Also similar to Spotify, when you do start listening to these, it's going to be an unlimited listening experience sort of thing. And all that really means is there's going to be some amount of music that just shows up in there by default. But if you're listening to it all day long, it's not going to stop. They're going to keep playing more and more music that would fit. But if you want to save the playlist as a playlist or uh, download it for offline playback, you're you're going to be able to do that. But it's only going to be about 100 tracks, which is still hours and hours of music. So if you're a YouTube music listener and you check this out, let us know how it, how it works for you. And if you think it's actually providing a better experience than some of their other offerings. On our last episode, by far the biggest news was that Microsoft slash Xbox was in the process of acquiring Activision Blizzard. It was a massive, massive deal. Huge, huge news. Well, on a sort of similar note, Sony did respond this week by making their own studio acquisition. They're buying Bungie. Bungie, for any of you gamers out there, should be a familiar name. 
They are the studio that originally created Halo and many of the Halo games, but not all of them. And they are the makers of the Destiny franchise. Now, outside of Halo and Destiny, they've really only had one other game. It was a game called Marathon that they released for the Mac back in like 1994 or something like that. So for all intents and purposes, it is a studio that has built two titles, Halo and Destiny, and they don't even own the rights to Halo anymore. When Bungie went off on its own to be an independent studio, Microsoft retained the IP for Halo. So really, right now, Bungie is just Destiny. And I'm not trying to say that that's not good enough or anything like that, but when comparing this to when Xbox bought Activision Blizzard or when Xbox bought Bethesda, we're talking about one game here versus dozens of games from some of those other acquisitions, which does explain the price. Sony only had to pay $3.6 billion for Bungie, which any amount of money that is in the billions is still a lot, but compared to almost $69 billion that Microsoft paid for Activision Blizzard, this is practically nothing. So it's an interesting deal. And, you know, when I first just saw the headline, I thought, well, all right, I guess that means that Destiny is going to be Sony PlayStation exclusive now, at least on consoles, because that's how Sony works. But Maybe not exactly, because in Sony's blog post, they said, and I'm this is a quote here, I want to be very clear to the community that Bungie will remain an independent and multi-platform studio and publisher. Sounds super clear, right? I mean, that's what he said he was trying to do is be very clear. Multi-platform must mean Xbox, right? No, not necessarily. Like, I think it's entirely possible that it does continue to to put out games, whatever the next Destiny is or the next Destiny expansion, or if they're working on a brand new IP, it might come out on Xbox. Like, they're certainly leaving the door open to that. But if it came out on PlayStation and PC, that's still multi-platform. Multi-platform doesn't necessarily mean other consoles. One can certainly hope, I mean, like we said in the last episode, when games go platform exclusive, it's never good for the gamer. And while I as an Xbox, a primarily Xbox gamer, have a lot to gain by Microsoft snatching up studios like Activision Blizzard, like Bethesda, because that means I'm going to play their games on my platform of choice and that I'm going to get to play them as part of Xbox Game Pass, it's still I'm still able to recognize that it's not great for other gamers. If you're not an Xbox gamer, that's not good for you. And so just trying to be consistent here. If Sony is going to make Bungie a Sony console exclusive, then that's not good for gamers. Now for me it doesn't matter in the least. I've never been a big Halo fan, and I've never been a big Destiny fan, which to me makes perfect sense because I look at Destiny as Halo, the shared world shooter version. Like, I, they, they just feel very, very similar to me. And that's not a bad thing. It's just not the thing for me. So this deal, even if they were to say, yeah, 
forget Xbox. We are never publishing anything on Xbox again. Doesn't matter to me at all. But I know there's a ton of Destiny fans out there, and that would be a huge loss for all of those players. So we'll, of course, keep an eye on it, see what actually happens in the future. I think it's pretty safe to imagine that there will be some things that will be exclusive or at least will be like timed exclusives, whether that's, you know, certain uh, expansions coming out first on Sony and then maybe later on on other platforms. There's all sorts of options here. But I do think it is nice that they're at least leaving that door open for continuing to be a truly multi-platform studio. Our last bit of news this week is really just more of a quick update. Valve is going to start selling the Steam Deck at the end of the month, February 25th. And I think some of you might be thinking, what do you mean start selling? Weren't they taking pre-orders last fall for it? Well, not exactly. What they were doing was taking reservations for the Steam Deck. You could put in a reservation, which did require you to put some money down. And then what that did was enabled you that once they officially put these things on sale, is that you would then have first dibs at actually pre-ordering one at that point. So what this means is if you did reserve one, last fall, or heck, even if you reserved one last week, starting February 25th, you're going to get an email that says, hey, do you still want this? Because if so, you have three days to finish the pre-order process, which means that you're going to have to pay the remaining balance of whatever it is that you had to pay in the reservation. And then they're going to ship you out a Steam Deck, but probably not right away because it's still taking them a while to build all of these. So, you know, you'll you'll get that email on February 25th. You'll have three days to say, yes, I still want this. And then at the earliest, you're going to start receiving these things in March. And basically every week they're going to send out a new batch and a new batch. So it, it's good news. If you really want a Steam Deck, you're you're going to start to get them soon. It's not as soon as what they had originally forecasted. They had originally said that they would start shipping these things in December. This is obviously over two months later. It's really close to three months later than that since it won't be until March. But it's great news that they're finally coming out. And if you're thinking, yeah, I I, I think I want one of these, but I didn't really want to place an order until it looked like it was actually going to happen sometime soon. Go ahead and put your order in your, sorry, put in your reservation right now. You can still do that. You can still put in a reservation uh, right now and you'll get that email on February 25th, but it doesn't mean you're going to be getting one all that quickly. In fact, if you put in your reservation now, you're probably not going to get a Steam Deck until at least Q3. That means at least July before you're getting your hands on one of these. So if if you have been waiting and, and you're pretty certain that you wanted to get one of these, go and put your reservation in now because all you're doing is delaying it, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks out from whenever you do actually put in that reservation. So head on over to Steam to go ahead and do that. Uh, because if you're if you're looking for a Nintendo Switch form factor of a gaming PC. This is your, 
I don't want to say it's your only option. We've seen some other similar things. None of them executed all that well. This is your best option. And it's from a known player. Now, I if if you went back and listened to the episode that we recorded when this was first announced last summer, you're gonna hear me say all all sorts of negative things about this that I don't I don't think this is gonna be a great solution for a lot of people, but maybe it is a great solution for you. Like there there might be some people that this is the ideal solution for them. It's not for me. It's it's not the ideal solution for someone like me who works from home barely ever commutes, barely goes anywhere where like I don't travel much. So which is where I think the sweet spot is for something like this. It can be docked to a computer, but it's not a, or like to a computer monitor, but it's not a super powerful computer. So if you plug this into your 4k TV, it's not like you're going to be running, you know, Grand Theft Auto at, at or Red Dead Redemption at ultimate settings in 4K, it's not going to happen. It's it's not a powerful gaming PC. It is a mobile gaming PC, and not even anywhere close to the graphics level and power that you're going to see from a gaming laptop, because it's still significantly smaller than a gaming laptop. But there are lots of people that this is going to be a great device for. So go ahead, click the link in the show notes to get more information on the Valve Steam Deck, if that does sound like something that might be of interest to you. Okay, so we've gotten to the end of the show, and before we leave, we always talk about the things that we've been watching, listening to, playing. It's a segment we call In Our Entertainment Centers, and I guess it's in my entertainment center this week since Richard isn't here. I don't think I've watched anything since the last episode. I have played some games, though, and I've got an audiobook to throw out to you. So on the gaming side, of course, more NHL. Starting to wonder if I even need to mention it, but of course, NHL. Also, the guys that I regularly play games with, you know, we've pretty much finished up the things that we are actually going to do inside of Forza Horizon 5, and we're looking for something different. And a game just came to Xbox Game Pass. It is a game that is in preview right now. I believe it is pronounced Anacrusis. And it's, I mean, I'm, I'm phonetically pronouncing it there, so it shouldn't be that hard to find. Or if you just go to Xbox Game Pass and look for the games that have been recently added, it definitely won't be hard to find. This is a four-person co-op shooter. Think of recent games that have come out. Think about Back for Blood, which came out last, last fall. Think about uh, well, actually, the game that uh, just came out, Rainbow Six Extraction, although I haven't played that one yet, it's four players. Uh, this is a sci-fi world. You're on a spaceship, at least the, the first level is. So you've got some some futuristic sci-fi weapons, and aliens are invading the ship. So you're trying to get around the ship and defeat the hordes of aliens that are showing up. Of course, there's different types of aliens that have different special powers. It is pretty standard for this type of game. It's pretty decent. You know, we played through the the entire first level. It took us, I don't know, an hour and a half or so to play through it. We didn't hate it. You know, we we finished it. There were certainly some things that we liked and some things that we didn't like. It's got some some aspects to it that are new to to the genre, at least it from our vantage point uh, and the games that we've played 
that are like this, but it also didn't really hook us. And maybe that's just because it's still in preview. It's not a finished game. But if you're into that style of game at all, and you've got Game Pass, which you should if you're an Xbox gamer, then go and check this out because you might love it. It's got, it does have a lot going for it. So while it's not the absolute favorite game for me, if you're really into this genre, you owe it to yourself to go and, and check this out because it is, it is pretty good. I also read an audiobook over the last couple of weeks. This is a book called American Trader by the author Brad Taylor. I actually heard about this book on a podcast that I listened to. Uh, it's a podcast called Spycast. It's from the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C. They interview all sorts of people who are related to espionage, whether it's real-life spies or people who have just worked in intelligence and things like that, or just authors of fiction, of of spy novels and things like that. And that's what this is. It is a spy novel that is, I mean, this is not exactly a spy novel that, you know, is, is really going to have all sorts of like major plot twists in it that are really going to like break your brain, right? This is fairly simple, fairly straightforward stuff, but it's, it's at least focused in modern day, in a modern day setting with modern day problems, like things that you could actually see happening in the world right now as it is. I enjoyed it. Like I said, I don't think it's the greatest uh, work of spy novel literature that I've ever read, but I, I enjoyed it and I'll probably look to see what else Brad Taylor has written to go and, and check those out also, because this is. This is my genre. So if you're looking for for something else, there you go. American Trader by Brad Taylor. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, no, no video on YouTube this week, partly because I had gotten fairly far into the show and realized that I hadn't actually started recording the video and didn't want to do it over again. So uh, we are trying to to put these episodes up on on YouTube though, because you know, if, if we're doing a video show, we might as well put it out on YouTube for you to check out. Um, and so if, if you're into, to watching things like that on, on YouTube, then please go over to the YouTube channel, subscribe to it, uh, give us a like, uh, hit, hit the, the notification bell so that you can be notified when new episodes show up there, just like you would for a traditional podcast. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, we're on Twitter. Richard is at Richard Gunther. I'm at Josh Pollard. And the website is at DigiMediaZone. All the rest of our contact information is over in the show notes at TheDigitalMediaZone.com, where you'll get links to all of the stories that we talk about on the show. Also, we invite you to join us when we record this show live, which is most times this week was nuts, though, guys. Tonight was Lunar New Year. Tomorrow, I've got my kid's birthday. Richard is moving. Like, it was a crazy week. I was very uncertain as to whether or not we'd be able to do a live show. Yeah, turns out we weren't. I'm just happy to be able to get this show out at all this week. But typically, we do the show live on Twitch. You can follow us over there. Or if you aren't following us on Twitter, we always post a tweet about when we were when we are going to be doing the show live so you don't miss it because it's a lot more fun to be in the chat room 
while we're doing the show live because you can participate in real time. We got that email that, that I read at the beginning of the show from James, who said, Hey guys, Roku does support AirPlay. Well, if James would have been in the the chat for the live show, he could have told us live and it would have been on that particular episode. So uh, all sorts of fun things that can happen if you show up for the live recording. Those are typically Tuesday nights around 8.30 p.m. Eastern. All right, well, that's going to do it for episode 578. I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios.